Well, good morning, City Light Lincoln Church. Good morning. Mm. Uh, my name is Mo, and I'm one of the pastors here. And it, it, honestly, it's it's really great to be here and uh, to be at a worship with all of you. Um, but first, I want to say to the moms in the room, Happy Mother's Day! Thank you so much for uh, loving your family, serving. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Thanks for serving and loving your family. Thanks for being a great example uh, of what it means to serve. So when, so when I think of my wife and my mom and my mother-in-law, I, I automatically, the word that pops in the head is servant. Uh, that's the characteristic that they be tr- portray consistently. Uh, they get their hands dirty for their loved ones. They love our kids. They, they just do an incredible job. And isn't it amazing to see like the characteristics of Jesus and how it displays itself differently, specifically in moms, though, I, I do believe that we know that, like, man, it's servant. Um, that's what they do. They serve our families. They love our families. And so uh, my prayer is to say, hey, I hope you feel, feel the thankfulness uh, from us, the gratefulness that we have for you, but then also that you would um, feel that Jesus came to serve you as well. Like, he would come and take care of you today and that you would by Jesus today. And so we're going to see Jesus serve us in an extravagant way in our text in uh, the Gospel of John chapter 13. Um, And I'm going to share some things about my family. But first, I want to ask a question. If you knew that you were going to die tomorrow, what would be that thing that you would want to say or do and leave with your family? Like, like what would be the, the, the one overarching theme or message that you want to give to them to say, hey, this is what I want you to, want you to take with you while I'm gone. What would that thing be? And, and, and for, for me to share what I would say, I have to look at my kids, my three little ones specifically. So we go on walks pretty often around our neighborhood, and, and we usually see our neighbors, and a lot of them are people that we either don't know very well or people that we don't know at all. And inevitably, my little ones, down to the, the smallest one, looks up to each and every person that we walk by, and they smile, and they say, hi. Every time, like, they'll see a person, hi, and, and, and it's incredible, but as a parent, I'm like, wait, slow down. Don't talk to that person. We don't know them. Stranger, danger, let's learn that concept quickly. But what I get to see in my kids, though, is something that I hope is growing in my own heart, right? It is that when they look at these people, there, there isn't a judgment about them. Their, their heart is such a, uh, comes from a, such a place of purity that when they look at them, they don't really care who they are. They see that they're a human being, and they smile and say hi to them. They don't look at um, what's going on on the external. They don't care what they smell like, what they look like, where they come from, where they are on the social status spectrum. They just know it's a human being that they get to say hi to. And, and, And so if I were to pass anything on to my kids and I know that I was dying tomorrow, I'd go to them tonight and say, don't let go of that. Don't release that characteristic, that trait about you. I want you to carry that into adulthood. I want you to see people the way Jesus sees people and humbly serve in such a way that you give them joy. You give them life by the words you speak and the way you would look at them. And the only way that you would get them, my kids, is through the person and work of Jesus. Through his humility in loving us, we can pass that love on. I'd give them that message. I'd want them to know that the, the servant God, the servant king, came humbly to serve, and so we ought to serve also. And, and the, the, text, the, the context of our passage is just that. It's, it's Jesus in his last hours. He is going to die in a day, and so he's spending time, dinner, with his buddies, right? With his dudes that he's been walking with for the last three and a half years. He's with his disciples, 
And, and so this part is called the upper room discourse. So he goes on for five chapters, loving them and telling them exactly what the lasting impression he wants to leave with them. He, he's saying, hey, here's what I want you to know. If you didn't hear anything for the last three and a half years, let's sandwich these things in right here. My last words to you for you to take with you after I'm gone. And so before he goes to the cross, this is what happens. Uh, we're going to look at our first point is, is that the humble servant cleanses dirty sinners. And so we'll pick it up in verse 1. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to, to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And so the stage is set. Jesus in his final hours, he's sitting at dinner with his guys. And Jesus continually has been proclaiming that, hey, I'm the Messiah. I'm the king. I'm the one that you've been looking for. And so for three and a half years, he's walked with these guys. He's slept with these guys. He's worked with these guys. And he's no longer interacting with anyone outside of his little group here. He knows that he's about to be betrayed. And yet the king of the universe, get this. Washes sinners' feet. That's his first action to show, hey, I'm going to go die, and here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to wash your dirty feet. I don't know about you, but I don't like feet, and so I don't understand why the Lord of lords, the King of kings, the maker of all things, would get down on his knees and wash the feet of sinners. This is the last night that he gets to spend with his people, and here's why it's significant. So last week we were in chapter 12. And we got to see Jesus in his triumphal entry. He, he came in and said, hey, I'm the king that you guys have been waiting for. I'm that dude that you've been looking for. What the scriptures talk about, yeah, that's, that's me. But then in this moment, he stoops to the lowest social status position in all of society. So what we don't know, but the washing of a person's feet was only reserved for Gentile slaves. A Jewish man, let alone a rabbi or a shepherd, would never, ever, 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 ever get down and wash a per, another man's feet. It just, it'd be unheard of. It would be unheard of to serve in this way. In fact, the disciples should have been washing his feet, but they wouldn't even do that. And so this, this mark does, is, it would have been alarming to these guys. Get this. This is the same God that breathed life into existence. He said the word, and it was. He created the sun, which is the largest thing you and I can visually see. And yet, in this moment, he didn't just come as a human. He came as a slave. It's unbelievable. It's, it's a scandalous thing to do. How, how, would you, how would we respond to such a thing, that our God would get on his knees and wash your filthy feet? And here, here's how Peter responds in verse 6. Here's what he says. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what, am, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And so Peter says, dude, you, you can't wash my feet. No, 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 Jesus, don't 
wash my feet. And, and I think Peter has a similar heart that's oftentimes our heart is that when grace comes our way that's offered, we kind of resist it, right? We push back on the grace that comes toward us. And then Jesus is showing, though, he says, Peter, ultimately, I have to do this. Jesus must cleanse Peter's sins, and, and Peter must put away his pride and reject that rather than rejecting the grace that's offered him. And Jesus' response to him was a kindness to show him, say, hey, this is the faith and the trust that you actually have to have. It's, it's the one that we all must wrestle with. Do, do I trust the fact that Jesus is the only way to wash my feet, to cleanse me of my sins? We can't work for it. We can't earn it. We can't be a, a good enough person. We can't, for, matter of factly, we can't sit down and wash our own feet. It is only through the love of Jesus and him cleansing us of our sins can we be set free, can we stand before God spotless and blameless. And in order to receive this grace, like Peter, we have to come to grips with the reality that we are filthy, that we are dirty people. Apart from Jesus' death on the cross, our sins make us dirty. We need to be cleansed. And there's nothing that you or I could do to earn that The only way we are set free from the penalty of sin and the penalty of death is the sacrifice of Jesus. We must come to that place to see that the bad news of the gospel, that our sin makes us enemy before God. We have to understand that that separates us from God. So here's how this, why this matters for us. If we don't first come to an understanding of the depth of our sinfulness before a holy God, we won't be able to see how clearly, how good, how gracious, how beautiful the love of Jesus is. Most of us in the room are perfectly comfortable talking about the love of God, right? Like, it's all right. Like, yep, Jesus loves me. God loves me. It's perfectly fine. We're perfectly comfortable talking about how much he loves us, how much he sacrificed for our love. But we, we scantily talk about the reality of our sin in our heart. It's not as palatable to talk about. But if you don't understand your sin, you will have a shallow view of God's love. The good news is only good news when there's an impending bad news attached to it. That bad news is that you and I are worse off than we ever would imagine. But the good news is that Jesus is far greater than anything that we could ever do, say, or know. That's the good news is that Jesus is better, not that I'm better now. In verse 4, it says that he laid aside his outer garments. Jesus took off his outer garments and put himself in the position of a slave. It was a, it was a physical sign or symbol saying that he laid aside his divine nature. He laid aside his dignity, his, his pride, his, his rightful place as a sacrifice on our behalf. Look at me. He didn't do it out of obligation. He did it because he loves you. He did it because he has an affection towards you, because he wants to pursue you and love you, not because you've done something that would gain that affection. Don't miss it. It was because he chose to love you in his great affection and love for you. And if he didn't die for our sins, we would have no reign with him. If he doesn't cleanse our feet, cleanse our hearts, we have no part with him. We're away from him for all of eternity. That's the weight of the cross. That's, that's what we need to wrestle with day in and day out, praising God, walking in the reality that, that we are cleansed by Jesus and not ourselves. Don't be the person that pushes him away and says, you know what, Jesus, thanks for your grace, but I got it from here. I appreciate it, but I can do it. I can do it now. No, with this mess, the message is that you can rest in the reality that he is the one that cleanses you. He is the one that makes you clean before God. He does all the work, but... All you have to do is humbly allow him to cleanse your heart. Amen?
And in verse 9, we catch Peter with a different response, though. So Peter kind of goes from one end of the spectrum to the next one. Here's what he says. He says, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean and you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. And so Jesus on the onset, after Peter has, again, a shift in his response. So first he's saying, no, 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 Jesus, don't even touch my feet. Now he's saying, hey, pour the bucket of water on me. Like clean my head, my hands, everything. Just clean me. It's just typical Peter and, quite frankly, me too. Um, And Jesus kind of pushes him back a little bit and says, Peter, Peter, I've cleaned you. There's no need for you to be cleaned again because what they are in is a dinner Setting. So I, I hope if you were going to a dinner party that you will have bathed or showered first, right? Like that's, that's generally speaking how we practice that in the culture today, right? We take a bath and we go to dinner. Um, and so in this, what Jesus is saying, hey, just like this picture of the fact that when you go to a dinner party, you have already cleaned yourself. The only thing that's probably dirty on you is your feet. And so what Jesus is, is using this physical metaphor, he says, once you've trusted Jesus for salvation, it's done, it's finished, it's final. Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. And he tells Peter, man, you're clean. I've already done it. There's nothing else to be done. The King of kings, the Lord of lords has come down in humility, and he became dirty so that we might be clean before God. Now, this precious truth should do something in yours and my heart, right? Like if we were to see how beautiful and how grand this humility is, it should do something to our hearts and make us look a bit different. And so that gets me to my second point. My second point is cleanse sinners, humbly serve. And so we'll pick it up in verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So in the previous section, Jesus showed us that he is our substitute before he is our example. And so without Jesus washing our feet first by his grace, this command to go and wash each other's feet, the the motivation behind it would be obligatory, right? Like it'd be, I have an obligation to do this. It's my duty to go wash people's feet. All right, parents in the room, let's be honest. Now, when you tell your kid to go do something like clean your room, go to bed, Make sure you eat all your food. What's your knee-jerk response when they ask the proverbial question of why? It's like, because I said so, right? Like, let's, come on, you be honest. You said it before. You've at least thought it like, because I said so, that's why you got to do it. But our loving Savior Jesus actually isn't like us, right? He doesn't say, do these things because I said so. No, he leads by example. He goes before us and does what he calls us into, And so it is his grace of Jesus that would compel us to follow Jesus' example of humbly serving in this way. And so once we've received Jesus' grace, our affections for him grow. And we want to be around him more, and and we understand his love and affection toward us more, and, and that causes us to grow and be more like him. 
don't know if you notice this, but the more you're around a person, the more you start to become like them in personality. Right? You start to say their mannerisms. You might make facial expressions. So, like, if you're around Austin, you're like, all the time. Like, when you're joking and stuff like that, he, it, it, it's just a part of, of when you're around people a lot. And, and for me, like, Austin is an amazing guy. Okay, let me, just hear me preface by saying that. But if you've been around him for any length of time, you know all of a sudden you have this urge to do things that are uncharacteristic of yourself. Something that's a little bit outside your comfort zone might be a little bit questionable, right? And I know he's a pastor, but some, but what he's done, his personality caused you to do things that are for your good or for your humiliation. I'm not sure how that works together, but it does. But let me say something. I, I believe that to be a characteristic of Jesus that's coming out of that man that influences me. Like, I tend to laugh a lot more. I, I tend to uh, take a few more risks than I'm probably comfortable with. And, and for some weird reason, I end up talking about my feelings. I don't get that. It's uncomfortable. Uh, <laughs> the man's got an infectious personality, but I, I think our Lord has an infectious personality too. When, when his disciples saw him washing their feet, they looked at him and said, man, he's, he's crazy. And then in this section, he's calling them to the same humble humiliation that he just showed them, the example that he just showed them. Verse 15 says, says it perfectly where he says, he is the example, mimic me. And then he pulls the leadership card. He's like, all right, here's the leadership card. Verse 16 and 17, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you who do them. See, like, what he's saying is this is our call too. This, this humble service is our call. To imitate God is what the call of the Christian life is. Paul describes it in uh, Ephesians 5 as an imitation, 5, 1 through 2. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Paul, for, Paul, for the remainder of that chapter, goes on to instruct wives, husband, children, workers, slave, etc., and what it is, it's a, it's a call to say all of us, we must be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. But if we've been cleansed and been given the gracious life, we need to put aside our dignities, put aside our rights, set aside our entitlements, and behold the Lord Jesus so we can be more like him. If we understand that grace, we will serve like Jesus. If we see that our leader isn't afraid or ashamed to do some of the same things, then we, it should compel us to serve in such a way. It's out of the love of, and grace of Jesus that we serve, not out of duty. And what do you think Jesus' attitude was while he was sitting down washing their feet? I don't think it was out of obligation. I don't think it was obligatory. He's like, man, i got to wash these disciples' feet so they can start to get it. I don't think Jesus did it that way. No, I believe he did it with great joy. Hebrews 12, 2 describes his attitude as he approached the cross on our behalf. It says, Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him, the joy set before him endured the cross. He humbly served with joy. Some of us in the room are really, really, really good at serving. But can I ask, what's your heart look like when you're doing that? Are, are you joyfully serving? Do you do that well? I don't. I don't do that well. I have to confess, the other night I'm sitting with Colleen, my wife, and we had a great time. We were hanging out, playing games, had dinner together. The kids were sleeping. That's always helpful. 
And then at the end of that, she says, hey, would you like to um, take our dishes into the kitchen and start the dishwasher for me? And for some reason, I look at her and said, no, I wouldn't like to, but I'll do it anyway. It was like, why did you have to say that? You just ruined everything, Mo. Like, you didn't have to say it that way because, of course, she was upset because in that moment, she wasn't saying, will you go wash the dishes or put the dishes in there? She says, would you joyfully serve me in this moment? And my response was not one that sounded like Jesus at all. It wasn't the example where he's given me this immense grace and hope and love in humility. He humbly served me with joy by laying down his comfort and his kingly entitlements so that I can receive true life and experience his love. Jesus doesn't just care about what we do. It's how we do it. Because Jesus came as a humble servant to cleanse sinners like us, we as cleansed sinners must also look and act based on that grid in our life. The point isn't that you work harder, do gooder, make sure that you go put a smile on your face. I don't, hear me now, hear me say this. The message is not, hey, go serve harder, go work harder, and make sure you smile and put on this fake expression. That's not what it's saying. What it's saying is deeply, deeply rooted love that you see in Jesus should compel you to want to do those things with joy, with humility. The more we spend time looking at the humble love of Jesus, the more will be compelled to humbly serve through that same love. Jesus' example of humble service does not end with the lovable, though. We don't, he, he doesn't just end with the people that he loves or the people that love him back. In fact, he extends that same kind of grace to those who would betray him. And so my third point, my third point is the humble king's love for the dirty. We'll look at verse 18. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And so as we continue to find our example of humility in the love of Jesus, this particular section is very difficult for me to grasp. I I feel like as I look at, yes, Jesus humbly served me and cleansed me, I, I can nod to that and say, yes, amen. And I can nod to the fact that Jesus calls me to humbly serve those who love him, yes, and amen. But there's an elephant in the room that we haven't addressed yet. His name is Judas Iscariot. Judas, up until this point, has been with Jesus for three and a half years as one of his buddies, one of his roll dogs, as we say around here. Um, and he has experienced friendship with Jesus. He, he broke bread with Jesus. He, he learned from Jesus. He heard the exact same teaching as every other disciple that was walking with Jesus. And this entire text has been alluding to the fact that he's going to betray him, specifically verse 2 and verse 11 in particular. This man had been one of Jesus' most close, intimate friends And he had been with him from the beginning of this journey and yet hadn't accepted his love. Did you notice something in verse 11? Jesus noticed, knows about Judas' heart. Like he already knew that Judas would betray him. Look at me. Jesus knew that he would betray him and yet he still got down on one knee and washed this guy's feet. 
Like it's an incredible, crazy thing that he would spend day by day with this guy, share his secrets and his love with him and the other disciples. He trusted him completely, understanding that he was going to betray him. Why would you do that? It blows my mind. Why would you let this guy into your inner circle? It doesn't make sense that you would let him eat your food. It doesn't make any sense that you would clean his feet. I don't think it was an accident Jesus first showed his disciples that he must cleanse them in order to point them to a greater reality of humility beyond whether or not love is reciprocated. Jesus' example of humble service doesn't distinguish between the lovable and the unlovable. He had a reckless abandonment when it came to showing and giving himself over to this man that he knew was going to betray him, a person who didn't deserve it. Judas is the perfect example of that. Now we have to address the seemingly paradoxical situation in verse 18. Jesus says, he knows who he has chosen to be his disciples and the scriptures would be fulfilled. So Jesus knew that Jesus would betray him from the very beginning. But in verse 21, it says that Jesus was deeply troubled in his spirit. He was broken over Judas's betrayal. Now I don't know about you, but that doesn't seem to add up for me. So if Jesus knew this was going to happen, why was he sad? Here's what we need to see, is that Jesus trusted God's plan, his sovereign plan, his great plan that was actually going to cause Jesus great pain, and he longed for Judas's heart. In the midst of all that, knowing that he would betray him, he said, Judas, please come to me. Just turn to me, Judas. Here's some food. Here's my grace. Here's my love. Let me pour it out on you. Come to me. He longed for his heart. When it says that his spirit troubled him, it's the same phrase that was used in chapter 12 when he was looking out at the multitude right before resurrecting Lazarus' life, and he mourned over the fact that there were so many of them that he knew would not come to him. There were so many of them that would not come to faith in him. Jesus, though he trusted the sovereign plan of God, isn't void of the emotions that come from some people not truly giving their hearts over to him. But Jesus' purpose in telling his disciples this thing wasn't to rat out Judas and say, man, he's the dude. But instead, in in verse 19, Jesus is telling them that the reason why he's doing this is so they might believe that he is who he says he is. Remember that John's purpose in this letter is that we would believe that Jesus is truly the Son of God. Think about how profound of an example this would have been to them of what it looks like to follow the Savior. Like, Think about after Jesus would die and then rise, and that's what the betrayal ultimately led to. Is the disciples are sitting there, and they're no longer scratching their head and said, no, this, this had to be done. It, it, he truly is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Messiah. Jesus knew Judas would betray him, and he still loved him, even though he would betray him. So Christian in the room, does your life display this radical freedom to humbly serve and love people, both in the family of God and outside the family of God. If not, I, I want to challenge you. I don't, I'm not sure you really understand what, what great lengths it took for Jesus to humble himself and get dirty so that you might be cleansed. Apart from Jesus' humility and putting away his rights and his entitlements for his enemies, us, we don't get to spend time with him. We don't get eternity with him. We don't experience true life. We end up like Judas and remain in darkness apart from his humble grace that he offers on the cross. And so if you're in the room and, and you're, you're wondering, okay, so where am I in this spectrum of things? Ask yourself the question, do you spend time with people that are hard to love? 
Do you hang out with, around people that would be considered dirty or an outcast within our society? Do you love people that are quick to lie to you, betray you, or run away from you? I would bet, I, would, I truly believe that our Jesus, those are the people he hung out with. In, in fact, we just saw that he, in fact, did for three and a half years and gave his whole life to this person. And let me go a step further and ask, do you see yourself that prior to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection coming alive in your heart, did you see yourself as unlovable, dirty, and hopeless? Because before, before that, you were hopeless until he gave you hope. You were not lovable until he gave you love, and you were not free until he set you free. It doesn't matter if you've been in church for, if, if you've gone to church your entire life. It doesn't matter if you came to faith just a week ago. Jesus says, my cleansing is finished. It's complete. It's for you. And now that you are clean, there's a mission that you can freely live out and serve in humble submission to my love and my grace. Don't leave thinking that this says, try harder, do gooder. What this is saying is draw deeper and nearer to the Lord Jesus so that you might joyfully serve and love his people and the people outside of his people. Jesus allowed Judas to experience the residual love and affection of being around Jesus and his people. It was kind of a splash of his love onto Judas. But Judas never experienced Jesus' love fully. And so if you're in the room and you feel like the Holy Spirit's kind of tugging on your heart saying, Hey, you might be Judas. If, if that's the reality in your heart, if he's tugging on you, you, you might not be fully experiencing the love of Jesus, and I want you to. I want you to question your heart and see, man, are you a spectator or are you a son? Are you in the crowd or are you in the family? Are you spending time around Christians or are you a part of Christ's family? There's a difference between the two. But to truly be cleansed, you first must first recognize the fact that you, you're dirty inside. You need the grace of God, the cleansing blood of Jesus for you to be able to be a part of that family and not just get residual love, but get the fullness of his love and grace. If you believe in your heart that Jesus did, in fact, die on the cross for your sins and that he did, in fact, raise from the grave, you don't have to leave here today in darkness like it says in verse 30 that Judas did. He walked out in darkness. You don't have to do that. You can live today victorious over both sin and death like, our, like Jesus did on the cross as our humble servant king. And so he's offering to wash you clean today. Will you take him up on his offer? Will you let Jesus clean your heart? Let's pray.